3: You're listening to Justice, podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor.
2: Although equal amounts of men and women own TV licenses, for some reason, 72% or over 90,000 women a year are convicted for non-payment. Also, why is it that council tax non-payment results in a 90-day prison sentence, but it's not even a crime? In this episode, Edwina asks investigator and women's justice advocate Naima Sakande to find out why.
4: My name's Naima Sakandi. Uh, I work for Appeal, uh, which is a legal charity that fights miscarriages of justice and we demand reform of the justice system. And I manage the Women's Justice Initiative, so we primarily focus on reinvestigating cases uh, of women who've been convicted or sentenced for crimes where uh, perhaps the court hasn't taken into account things like domestic abuse properly, mental illness, uh, and we're also really interested in the criminalisation of poverty and particularly the effects of the criminalisation of poverty on women who can't afford to pay fines and end up in prison for it.
3: And the criminalisation of poverty, is that also something that is sort of known as structural violence?
4: I wouldn't know the sort of pedagogical uh, background to that, but I think that you can certainly argue that it's a form of structural violence to criminalise people for their lack of means functionally and I think um, debt is one area that I think people find particularly shocking uh, it's very Dickensian you know we think about the Victorian era as yeah, the time the debtors' that we, jails debtors' prisons yeah. that's where we send people who can't who can't pay their debts um, but it's still alive and well today uh, and certainly, it's happening in other areas around homelessness, for example, and begging. We we see an increased rate uh, in in councils taking action against those who are who are sort of asking for money on the street. Um, but the area that we're really interested in is uh, the fact that you can end up in prison still for not paying your TV licence fine uh, or for not paying your council tax.
3: So, do you know what percentage of our prison population today, even roughly, what percentage might be in for sort of debt? Yeah, it's a very
4: small percentage, actually. So the, the, the figures are quite small. So I know, I know that between sort of 2010 and the present day, nearly 700 people have ended up in prison uh, for owing council tax. And the numbers that go to prison... 700? I mean, seven, yeah, it's not.
3: still. still about a, it's a p- significant number of people yeah. when you think about the families and there's the sort of ripple effect of 700.
4: Absolutely. And I think for council tax, you can go to prison for up to 90 days. For TV license, fine, non-payment, it's up to uh, 30 days. So they're they're emblematic of this incredibly short sentence uh, structure that we know from, you know, so much research now is incredibly costly. Uh, Going to prison doesn't in fact wipe out your fine or the money that you owe whatsoever. It just Mm. kneecaps your ability to pay it back. Um, We know that the rate of reoffending is really high for people who have who are sent to prison for for 12 months or less and again like you said the collateral consequences are catastrophic you can lose custody of your children uh you can lose stable housing you can lose employment in that time so sending somebody to prison for for less than three months or less than a month uh solves none of the reasons why they committed the offense in the first place Hmm. um but unduly penalizes them and has all of these ripple effects that society ends up having to pay for in the future anyway yeah
3: so if we take the two um topics of council tax and tv licenses separately um and we'll do sort of council tax first let's use an example of um, someone called jane um can you paint a picture of how she goes from uh being in her home her children are going to school you know uh life is you know on the straight and narrow pretty much you know she's not a chaotic drug user she's not a prostitute she's not homeless how does she then go from there to ending up in a prison in our country can you sort of paint a picture of that. Yeah well rather than Jane
4: I can talk about Melanie who's one of our clients who we represented uh, on a council tax non-payment case and she's exactly that she's a she's a hard working woman um she it was in her 50s I believe at the time uh she was a carer for an elderly neighbor single mother with a kid uh, her son was under 18 at the time I think he was 16 um and she uh, fell behind on payments was struggling to make uh the, to, to pay the bills and decided to prioritize other things such as putting food on the table, paying the gas and electricity, uh, over council tax. Council tax was always what got prioritized last in her list of, uh, in her list of things. And so the debt started to accrue and it started to build and she tried to get help from the local council, was put on a sort of debt management program. Um, but unfortunately lost her job in that period. And so she was getting more and more threatening letters from the council saying, if you don't pay this back, we're going to send you to prison. Um, They sent the bailiffs round with a warrant for her arrest and and committal to prison. Uh, On the day that the bailiffs arrived, she in desperation offered them a hundred pounds to pay towards the debt saying, just please, I'm I'm trying here, I'm trying, it's just that I don't have the money. Uh, And it was deemed too late and she was committed to prison for 81 days. And she heard about our organisation from prison. We'd written an article about council tax imprisonments uh, in a Women in Prison magazine. Uh, and we managed to secure uh, her release. Uh, and eventually... Um, How many
3: days did she serve?
4: She served 40 days. Did she served So days? more than a month in prison yeah. um, for and not hit, being able to pay. And what happened to her children? So it, this is, again, something that she talks about quite quite powerfully the effect on her son was deeply destabilizing he'd grown up with his mum the entire time and then was taken in by his father who he didn't have much of a relationship with right. uh, and to this day he's really afraid of his mum being snatched away for, for for sort of no reason that was hugely terrifying for him particularly given that his mum hadn't committed sort of a demonstrable crime she wasn't mm-hmm. a bad person she hadn't robbed anybody and um, she was of course, struggling with imagine for me.
3: him at school People don't drill down to why someone's gone to prison. It's like, if you go to prison, you are a bad person. You've probably done something violent and really wrong as opposed to struggling to survive, to provide for your children. How do you answer that to your friends in the school playground?
4: Oh, why are you with your dad at the moment? Oh, my mum's gone to prison. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. But in her case, one of the big mistakes that was made was that magistrates had never even ordered a proper means test. They hadn't even looked into her bank account to look at what she could afford to pay and what she couldn't. And so in fact, we ended up getting that, uh, that committal order ruled unlawful. It was unlawful because she didn't have the money to pay. So the provision for sending somebody to prison um, is quite specific. It's only if somebody refuses, you know, willful refusal, they say, you know, for whatever reason, I'm an anarchist, I don't believe in paying council tax to the government, I refuse. Yeah. Uh, Or culpable neglect. So you're so neglectful of your finances that, that, you know, you're paying, I don't know, you're buying Chanel bags and all of this sort of stuff, um, but you're not paying your council tax. And we have found that uh, in at least one in five, at least one in five cases, that is not the case. This is not people who are You know protesting at the government this is not people who have the money and are refusing to pay these are people who are struggling who are financially vulnerable and are not able to pay their debts and we know that since austerity the rate the number of the rate of council tax debt has increased by 40 percent since 20 since 2010 so um this the the need is only increasing and so the risk unfortunately for vulnerable people of ending up in prison is is steadily on the rise
3: so who else does this? What other countries do it and what countries have abolished it thinking that it's obviously too, it's crazy?
4: Yeah, well, last year, uh, it was only England and Wales. Scotland and Northern Ireland abolished this practice a long, long time ago. And in fact, Melanie, uh, my client who I was talking about before, she was based in Wales and our litigation of her case meant that uh, Mark Drayford, uh, the, the Welsh financial secretary at the time, uh, ordered an investigation into the use of imprisonment for uh, for the non-payment of council tax. And as of November 2018, decided this was draconian, uh, you know, regressive and not the way that Wales wanted to recover debts. And so they abolished that. So in fact, it's only in England now that you can still be sent to prison. Only in England. Good
3: old progressive England. Oh, I
4: know. I know. (laughs) Heartbreaking.
3: How optimistic do you feel that we will follow suit? Or do you feel like there's a real kind of, um, no, you know, we need to do this. We need to keep on imprisoning people for this absurd amount of time because of course you know we it's no secret that we have a a problem um with the prison population and people scratching their heads how do we bring the numbers down well there's some really obvious ways that we can bring the numbers down and it's not about releasing really violent dangerous people but what i um keep seeing and hearing is that people have a fundamental misunderstanding of the amount of people who are in prison that pose no danger to society that really need to not be there yeah so where do you feel we are as a country on maybe doing something sensible here?
4: Well, I'll be honest, I was optimistic until our current, the current iteration of our government, which presumably won't last the year. <laughs> um, I think there has been uh, a real improvement in public discourse about um, the damaging nature of short sentences i think the women's sector has done a phenomenal job of raising the profile of the research that's out there about the high rate of recidivism for people who get sent to prison for under 12 months um the damaging collateral consequences of being sent to prison so i feel like at least as a women's sector we are very unified we have a very unified voice about how damaging this is um i think unfortunately a tough on crime stance is seen as an easy electoral uh, promise uh, and i think uh this current government's uh, talk about increasing the use of um, uh, stop and search, increasing the number of police officers that are going to be on the streets, and more punitive sentencing seems to be moving away from that. Um, but interestingly, I think, if even, if even if you're only interested in the economics of it, it is so economically inefficient to be sending people who are not a danger to society to prison.
3: Yeah, for everybody. It, for everybody. Like for the taxpayer, for... Us who pays for it, for the court, yeah. for the police, for the prison officers, the prison governors.
4: Yeah. And those collateral consequences are not just, you know, to tug on your heartstrings like, oh no, a mum's been pulled away from her from her kid. It's like, oh no, a mum's been pulled away from her kid. And that kid now has to be taken care of by the local authority. They have to find placement for them, foster carers, for example. Yeah,
3: and then their mental health, their mental you know, he- starts sort of, you know, getting into a bad place. And then the care that they need and the sort of support and the counselling maybe that they might need. So if you just start and- adding
4: up the cost, you know, you know, thousands of pounds to send somebody to prison, and on top of that, the additional cost to the taxpayer of all of the you know unintended side effects of what that's actually done, um, and in debt cases, the fact that it doesn't actually get rid of the debt whatsoever. So that person comes out of prison still owing the amount of money that they that they owed at the beginning. Um,
3: but a shadow of their former self, and they're certainly not going to be in a better place to be able to. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes
4: no sense at all.
3: Ah. Oh. If
4: we really believe that we did evidence-based policy, this would not be an issue. This yeah. is this to me is a complete no-brainer. It's yeah. a complete no-brainer. It doesn't make any sense. And I think if you confront any politicians that I've spoken to about this, um, we've had yeah, various what do they say? We've had various meetings with MPs. People are shocked. People don't realise you can still be sent to prison for this stuff.
3: Yeah, see, it's not a popular well. You get the shock, and then so you sit there going, right, so um it's literally your job to help us sort this out. So what are we gonna what do about it? Yeah. And then it's like Um, Oh, gosh, you've said the action word. And then do you find that that's sort of it, really? Um, Or do you find warm words and no action? What do you find? I think there's
4: the shock. And then people sort of say, oh, well, maybe we can help people um, with better debt advice services you know we should we should be able to help them manage their debt better which is certainly true and again because of austerity the places that people can turn to if they're struggling with their finances have reduced and that is an issue but how about we just remove the looming threat of custody from this entirely because the other part of the story isn't just the people who end up in prison it's the thousands of people threatened with prison who get threatening letters through the door yeah yeah so talk me through that
3: how um because i've always wondered how and why people are allowed to be sort of threatened in the way that they are I had
4: a call a horrible call from uh, a woman in a London local authority who was saying that she, her mental health had been so stripped back that she felt suicidal suicidal because she was being threatened with being sent to prison for owing council tax she mm. had no income she wasn't on benefits she wasn't a British national um she had very little support from family and friends she relied on sort of the goodwill of various neighbors and did lots of voluntary work in the community but she she didn't have an income to pay this council tax debt, and to the point that she was, I mean, it was just deeply upsetting. And this was just letters, this was this is letters coming through the door right. week in, week out from the council saying, Pay us, or you'll go to prison. So, the real problem is that it's still on the statute, yeah. Councils can send those letters because you can go to prison for it, yeah. So If we just get rid of that in the statute okay Uh, the threat disappears
3: sorry just so just for one moment because i can hear the sort of right-wing voices i think in my head saying (laughs) yeah well she should pay it and then they would stop threatening her Mm -hmm. which i guess is uh sure maybe a plausible argument (laughs) so what would you say to the people that are like well look you know i pay my council tax yeah and other people should pay theirs or they go to prison
4: well the big issue for us is that again in in statute you're only supposed to go to prison if you refuse or if you're neglectful but what we what we found out through the litigation of Melanie's case was that actually magistrates are getting that wrong They're just getting it wrong. So you're supposed to do, for example, a standard means check, a means test just to see what you have in your bank account, what are your incomings, what are your outgoings, can you pay? Magistrates are failing to do that. So in the disclosure that was ordered in that case, we found that up to a fifth of cases and probably more, orders to send people to prison were happening unlawfully. Now, if this was happening in, uh, let's say, I don't know, a different part of the criminal justice system, if this was happening uh, with more serious crime, a 20% failure rate Uh, of just getting it wrong, sending someone to prison for the wrong reason unlawfully would be completely unthinkable. Um, But because it's happening to the poorest and because it's happening to a small portion of people, um, we somehow don't think it's a priority. It's not something that we that we care about. So what I'd say to to people who are saying, well, she should just pay is that it's not it's not even that um, that the statute exists and, and it's being properly applied. The statute isn't even being properly applied.
3: And why is that? Is it just, you know, we know the courts are under pressure, we know that um, money's been stripped out of the justice system in a way that's sort of fairly unprecedented. Mm -hmm. So from a magistrate's point of view, what might a magistrate say to you, you know, as to why it happens?
4: Well, I think uh, magistrates only have to sit for, I think, two weeks a year. So the chances that in your two weeks you run across a council tax case is perhaps fairly low. It's not like TV licensing, which, you know, is 123,000 prosecutions a year. It's a very common offence. So the chances in your two weeks that you come across this is fairly low legal advisors again might not run across these cases very often so the training often just isn't there uh, to know what to do in these situations you know one of the things that we've been advocating for is retraining magistrates there was some retraining done as a result of melanie's case um, but we don't think it goes far enough if they're still getting it wrong get rid of the statute you can't be sending people to prison by accident unlawfully mm. that's people's liberty that, you yeah know, it's it's inexcusable
3: so what are you saying that we should do then a, a law should be passed to say you cannot prison can never be an option
4: a law needs to be repealed it's regulation 47 of the local government finance act of 1992 i think if wow. i'm correct
3: that is, that is superior <laughs> Might knowledge need to fact check
4: that. It's the two paragraphs uh, that basically provide for permission to send people to prison for this stuff and if you get rid of that all of this goes away
3: and how easy is it to get rid of that? What needs to actually happen? Because I think yeah. the detail is important. That's often what people skip over. So yeah. what does someone need to do in order to make that happen?
4: <laughs> well, ideally, uh, in a functional parliament, it would be a bill. Uh, uh, someone uh, would table right. a bill. Uh, I,
3: I, think we <laughs> I know what I'm saying. It's our first hurdle. Carry <laughs> on. Our,
4: yeah, so I think it would, be, it would be a bill. But the other thing that we're hoping is that, in fact, not all local councils um, do this, uh, even in England. Uh, only about a third of local councils in fact pursue committal to prison for the non-payment of council tax so our backup plan is to go to those local councils that are the worst offenders and uh, like you, Bradford okay and Coventry I was say. Sorry, uh, Bradford. <laughs> Bradford Coventry Sheffield Uh, are some of the worst offenders in terms of using committals uh, and asking them to re-examine their policies.
3: Yeah. Is there any particular reason why those particular areas might be keen on it? Is it sort of cultural? Is it sort of? I think it's cultural. I think a lot of people. They've always done it. So maybe they just. I think that's it. When you ask people
4: where it comes from, people don't know. We've always yeah. done it. It's, it's, it's what we've always done. They haven't examined it, right. really. Uh, and I think it's, in some ways, uh, a punitive measure that councils like to have in their back pocket to say, you know, we can enforce... Uh, The payment of these fines, and we can send people to prison. So, I think some councils might um, not be very happy with it because it's effectively removing a tool from their arsenal. But to those councils, I'd say two thirds of the rest of the country manage without it, look around at best practice, you can recover that debt in other ways.
3: My final question on sort of the council tax side, I think, is before we move on to um, TV licensing, is um, the gender points about this disproportionately affecting women on council tax mm. so um, you know I'm sure there'll be lots of people sort of saying well I'm sure there's men that don't pay their council tax too so why does it affect women disproportionately
4: yeah it's a really good question in fact when you look at the when you look at the statistics it is about it affects about 50 percent men and women in terms of the threat and in terms of the numbers of people that go to prison but in our experience I'm working with uh, Payplan and uh, which is a debt advice charity uh, and speaking to their workers who who are Answer calls from people who uh, are threatened with with imprisonment for debt all the time. Uh, their experience is that the the threat uh, happens to people who are the most vulnerable, and it tends to be it tends to be women. So the people who are threatened who actually can't afford to pay, the people who are threatened who um, the risks that they take by being sent to prison is much higher so because they have childcare responsibilities for example or other caring responsibilities which unfortunately in our society the burden of that still tends to fall uh, largely on women um in their experience and in ours too magistrates are getting it wrong in a in a higher proportion of the cases when it affects women because those vulnerabilities aren't being spotted they aren't being noticed and so again the collateral consequences uh from the incarceration of women for this tends to be higher uh, than it is with men
3: right and you said the average sentence length that a woman would be sentenced to is around 90 so the days? maximum you can be
4: sentenced to is 90 days and
3: they'd serve half of that
4: uh no you serve the full it's oh. not like a normal
3: oh it's not in fact a crime yeah it's a civil. okay offense. explain that to me because
4: yeah it's so it's technically a civil offense So you don't have a okay. you don't get a criminal record so unlike okay. tv licensing which if you don't pay the fine that that is a criminal offence, that's a prosecution and a conviction that you get. Right, Uh, so it's a civil offence and that's why it's different, so you have to
3: serve the time that is actually given to you. Yeah. And so then many people would say, right, so civil offences, should they go to prison or should all civil offences be dealt with in society and in the community? Yeah,
4: well interestingly, you know, not paying your credit card debt can't land you in prison, Uh, I don't believe. So why is it? different with council tax i think that's a really good question we've got Hmm. we've got uh, we've got a real problem in the system it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense whatsoever and no one's examining it it doesn't seem to be a priority for anybody which is part of the reason we're campaigning on this issue
3: so who are the groups that are scrutinizing this and looking into it you um I think there's an all-party parliamentary group.
4: So we are the secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group on miscarriages of justice. And the chairman of that, Barry Shearman, who's an MP, has been really helpful in pushing this forward. There are various uh, civil society partners, so PayPlan and Debt Advisors, uh, the Institute of Money Advisors, they've been really helpful on this. Various academics have written about it as well. Rona Epstein at Coventry University has written a huge amount on the effects of council tax imprisonment, particularly on vulnerable women. Uh, So there are people out there I think uh, there's a QC, Chris Doar, who's going to be on Channel 4 talking about council tax debt. And I think today uh, he's publishing a report on the impact of this. So certainly there's more and more interest in uh, pushing this issue forwards.
3: Yeah. And so which minister does it lie with? And is it his or her responsibility to repeal the act that you mentioned? So who is that?
4: So the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Communities is Robert Jenrick at the moment and he's the one responsible for appealing this bill.
3: So if people were particularly interested in this and sort of giving their support to it, is there anything that anyone can do that sort of might be listening?
4: Absolutely. There's two things. There's currently a petition live on the government website to end the use of imprisonment for council tax. It's live until the 14th of November and we've got 8,000 signatures so far. So we need 2,000 more in order to get an official government response. So log on there and sign that petition. And the second thing you can do is write to your local MP uh, and express your outrage at the fact that we can still send people to prison for this, particularly if your MP is uh, working in uh, the Bradford, Coventry, Sheffield areas. Uh, Put pressure on them to raise this issue in parliament to put pressure on the ministry of housing local government and communities uh, to repeal this bill
3: okay and um sort of given the sort of constitutional crisis that we seem to be um going through early november i sort of feel that sort of stuff will be going on um are we confident that this will get the attention that it needs um even if it doesn't get the attention will it get the action i'm hopeful ok, who knows
4: right? I mean, I think that's the that's the, that's the, the name of the game right question. now. Who knows? Yeah, uh, we'll see. But certainly we're going to continue campaigning on this issue until yeah. it's repealed.
2: You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor.
0: that's BlueNile.com. bluenile.com blue, Nile.com. blue Nile.com
1: So
3: obviously women and men being sent to prison for the non-payment of counsel uh, tax seems fairly absurd. But then we come on to the even more absurd topic of imprisoning people for non-payment of TV licenses. Um, and I'm particularly interested in this topic, A, because it's sort of so outrageous. B, it's a complete waste of everyone's time, particularly, you know, you know really needed prison places. And it's just madness. So can you give us you know a bit of a a bit of an outline of sort of what goes on here
4: i can hear sort of bbc officials screaming in my head saying you can't go to prison for not paying your tv license oh yeah i've heard
3: that time and time again from lots of people
4: well it's an important distinction you can't go to prison for not paying your tv license but you can go to prison for not paying the fine for not paying your tv license so you can still go to prison, um, but it's a it's a power that's in the hands of uh, magistrates, In again, like the council tax issue for not paying the fine that's attached to not having paid your TV license. So again, when you were talking about getting those threatening letters, uh, they can still say, uh, you know, you might go to court and you might face custody for this because if you aren't able to keep up with the fine payment schedule, you can risk being sent to prison for it.
3: Right. And it's usually women that go to prison. Oh,
4: this is mad. Absolutely mad. So I think TV license, uh, non-payment and prosecution is, I think, one of the most common offenses that is prosecuted in this country. It's 123,000 people who are uh, prosecuted for that roughly a year. And this year, actually 2018, 72% of those were women. So that's about 92% of women. women in England and Wales were prosecuted for not having paid their TV licence. Right. So and it is, is actually a thing. That is a <laughs> criminal offence and that's something that gets you a criminal record.
3: Right. So different to the non payment of counsellor yeah. ta- tax, which you said is um, a civil offence. Yes.
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so absolutely disproportionately affects women Why uh, and, is that? and women are only just so people are really clear women only have half of licenses in the country it's not because women own 73 percent of uh tv licenses in the country they don't it's 50 okay. 50 so there's something going wrong in the enforcement of tv license payment that means that women disproportionately bear the burden and the consequences of not having paid that that penalty
3: okay and what do you think that is uh, really interesting
4: uh, question, and something we're determined to get to the bottom of. The BBC in 2017 did an internal gender disparity report where they where they looked at their own processes, and they conveniently came to the conclusion that they had nothing to do with it, that there was no intention uh, and no in, you know gender discriminatory uh, reason that this uh, that this crazy statistic was being pumped out of their system. Uh, they concluded things like women are more likely to live in single households uh, in the UK, and so it's not our fault if more women. Uh, our heads of household than men. But again, half of the licenses are owned by women, half of the licenses are owned by men. Um, they mention things like uh, women being more likely to open the door uh, to somebody, to speak to an enforcement officer, to give a sort of voluntary interview to an enforcement officer. And
3: that's probably because it's in the day, and if they're looking after the children and they don't work? Uh, potentially uh, your husband's out at work. Yeah, and I
4: think there's a thing about agreeableness as well that perhaps women don't want to tell somebody on the doorstep to, you know, disappear, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, You have a right not to speak to a TV license enforcement uh, official if they come to your doorstep, which, you know, you have to enforce, obviously, you have to then not answer their questions and and not open the door, not invite them in, which perhaps is uh, harder for women who've been socialized to be pleasant and polite to people who show up on their doorstep. Um, So there's lots of potential reasons, uh, but I don't think we've got to the bottom of it. And I certainly don't think the BBC uh, and Capita, who are the uh, contracted uh, people who do TV license enforcement, uh, have their hands clean in this whatsoever.
3: Mm. And I wonder how prison governors and prison officers feel about looking after women who are literally in cells, having been handcuffed and removed from their children for something that appears quite sort of small and actually it's something that's quite easy to sort of miss right mm-hmm. i imagine lots of people are like oh my god you know i'm an upstanding citizen but you know i haven't got my post or something's happened and if i was a governor
4: i'd be fuming there's 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 a crisis in the prison system at the moment um the level of violence is on the rise staff retention of you know good Prison officers is incredibly difficult. Um, The level of need in prisons is really high. We know know that mental health uh, issues are sort of off the scale. Women with experiences of abuse. Prison governors have a lot to deal with, right? And these are not women that need to be in custody whatsoever. These are not the women that need to be the priorities for governors. I bet governors would love to wash their hands of them and have them nowhere near their prisons. Yeah,
3: and sort of further damaging individuals yeah. that we really do not, at the hands of the state, need to be damaging these children. Nobody women. gets into
4: this work trying to achieve that. Right? <laughs> Nobody becomes a prison governor because they're trying to wreck people's lives. That's, yeah, that's, absolutely that's not. not the intention.
3: And so therefore, how many men go to prison for this offence? It's actually well, w- obviously it's 72% of women then. Well, yeah, so
4: um, it's very hard to get statistics on the numbers that are sent to to prison. So one of the things we're looking at is doing freedom of information requests and parliamentary questions to actually work out the numbers of people that are sent to prison on this, because we think the way that it's recorded uh, in the MOJ makes it hard for them to pull out those exact figures. But again, if if it's uh, 72% who are prosecuted that are women, 73% of those who are convicted are women, you best believe that the people who are sent to prison are then going to be disproportionately women.
3: Right. So, um, safe to say there are probably some men today in prison sure. for um, non-payment of TV licence. And again, just completely absurd. That is not what our prison system was built to do. Absolutely not. And I'm sure everyone would agree on that. Absolutely So not. therefore, who, um, going back to the minister in charge and how you change these things, what needs to happen in order to make sure that prison is never an option?
4: Well, this is interesting. Um, It's actually linked a little bit to the council tax uh, uh, statute. Uh, The test, again, that magistrates have to be satisfied of to send somebody to prison for not having paid their TV licence fine is, again, this neglect or refusal. Um, So, ironically, I think if we can repeal the statute on the council tax bill, which introduces that language and sets that legal test, uh, the justification for using it in TV licence fine non-payments Disappears.
3: Okay, so you think the two things are absolutely? Sort I of think linked, they're linked, even the, though it's a civil offence and a criminal offence. Yes, offense.
4: absolutely, they are linked. The justification for the two comes from the same statute. Um, I think the other thing that can happen is that uh, the BBC can look at their contract with Capita, uh, the TV license enforcement agency, uh, and look at and you know force them to look at their debt collection practices. It's not good enough to say it's it's not our fault if this is the if this is the results of uh, of the system that you use to enforce um, TV license. um, you best believe it's your responsibility. Who else's responsibility is it to look at that disproportionality? One of the other areas that we're really concerned about is that uh, increasingly as we're moving to uh, online courts and we're moving to um dealing with summary offenses away from the courthouse so people not physically showing up but being able to for example plead guilty by letter uh tv license prosecutions is one of the big areas where they are starting to use what's called the single justice procedure where you just get a letter that says uh please tell us whether you want to plead guilty or not guilty if you say you want to plead not guilty you have a right to a hearing uh you can submit evidence and then a magistrate will decide if you plead guilty again the magistrate will decide your fine amount and send it to you in the letter in 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 a letter, but, um, the guardian found out recently that, uh, 60% of people who get these letters don't reply. And the issue is if you don't reply, you risk an automatic conviction so it's, it's the risk of you being automatically convicted uh for tv license prosecution is mm. really really high when all that's happened is you've sent a letter and you haven't responded and again the consequences of that are really large because people are getting criminal records off the back of that yeah. without any legal advice without being able to consult with anybody about the consequences of not having responded to that and that article actually mentioned a woman who found out four years later that she had a tv license prosecution uh, uh conviction on her record because she applied applied for a job who did an advanced DBS check, background check, uh, that found this prosecution, that, that found this conviction. She had no idea that she'd been convicted because they'd sent what? a letter to an old address. So she'd never applied. The magistrate found her guilty and she'd been convicted. It'd gone on her record. And she had no and concept had no of idea. it, no idea. Is
3: that legal?
4: Uh, currently, yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I think her conviction was overturned uh, after looking this wow. up when she could prove that she'd actually moved from that address and they sent it to the wrong one. Um, but it's really concerning that people can end up with legal, with with real ramifications and, and criminal records without having access to proper advice or hearing in court because simply a letter has been sent in the post
3: yeah and what about um you know there's plenty of people in this country that can't read and write and the prison population has an average literacy rate of um i think with adult men it's um a 12 year old oh wow um so again when you look at the people who are imprisoned for these offenses if you look at literacy levels uh, i'm sure there's something in that when you receive these letters when you know there's lots of letters i receive and i go oh boring put it in the boring pile or <laughs> deal with another day pile um And then, you know, there's some people who just don't open their posts. But of course, then, again, I'm hearing that voice sort of saying, well, look, you've got to pay your TV license like I do. So therefore, so and so should too. Mm. So when it comes down to maybe different type of enforcement of making sure it happens, if prison is never an option because it should never be an option, what then could be put in place to make sure people do pay or what penalty could be put in place to satisfy
4: well there are lots of other um debt collection methods that are available to magistrates so one of the things that they can do for example is order an attachment of earnings so if you get any benefits for example magistrates can order that a percentage of that gets put towards paying that fine okay Um, so that's that's a really clear and easy way that you know it doesn't even have to leave somebody's bank account it can be attached to that earnings and that can be dealt with in the court i think again beefing up the the problem is, is 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 that we're 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 reaching people who are vulnerable far too late. The point at which you're getting a threatening letter telling you you might go to prison is too late. Um, so we need to have better, stronger debt advice uh, in place for people way, way earlier so that people don't get overwhelmed with, with with their finances. So they don't get completely lost, whereby you're now then risking a criminal record or potentially committed to prison um, because you haven't managed to stay on top of your finances. So I think another thing that councils can do is definitely beef up their debt support packages that they offer to local residents. And ultimately, that's better off for them in the long run because they're more likely to be able to recover the debt.
3: And then how does it work these days? Because more and more people are watching TV on um, sort of iPads and sort of mobile devices. Does the same rule apply? Yeah. How does that work?
4: So if you're watching catch up TV, uh, you still have to pay a TV license. So people might not be aware of that, but they are, you, you are yeah. still required to pay a TV license in order to be able to watch catch up or on demand uh, programming.
3: Right. And I guess because that's all technology, they'd probably be able to monitor quite easily who's not doing it.
4: We've got lots of theories as to how they actually track who pays and who doesn't pay. And it's a fiercely guarded secret. If you go to the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Request site uh, on the on TV licensing's webpage, they have fought in, in, in court quite a lot. People who've requested information as to, you know, do you have vans that detect things? Do you have handheld mm. devices that can detect what, devices are connected um, we think it's a, it's probably a combination you know when you have a, a TV license or if you sign on to iPlayer you need to put in an email address uh, and your address so presumably some mixture of tracking people's IP addresses and, and, and their geographic location is part of how they of part of how they work it out but I can't tell you definitively um, what you know how they work this out um and they that's a fiercely guarded secret that's something they
3: don't let people know okay and if um again people want to get involved or sort of learn more about the tv licensing side of things are there particular Places for them to go to learn more? Are there any campaigns going on currently about this? Who do they speak to? That's a good question. I think
4: primarily, um, this is an area that we're starting to take on uh, with real interest. So, if you are a person, particularly a woman, who's received any threatening letters about uh, not paying your TV license or you've gotten uh, the threat of being sent to prison or a committal order being uh, ordered against you for not paying your TV license, please get in touch with us. Um, you can email me directly. Naima N-A-I-M-A at appeal.org.uk and we'd be very happy to look into that. Um, we are a charity and so we don't ask for payment from anybody. We do apply for legal aid for some cases, but that's that won't determine whether or not we can we can look at your case. we're very we're very keen to hear from people who are who are experiencing that themselves at the moment. Um we're also hoping to convene a sort of advisory panel of various uh, Interested partners that can help us to build a set of recommendations for the BBC and Capita, and also to um, uh, to government, basically, for how to change this legislation and make sure that this isn't something that that people can be sent to prison for any longer. So, if there's any organisations listening, particularly who do debt advice, uh, for example, or uh, budgeting, uh, or who work with people who are particularly vulnerable or, or impoverished, please get in touch with us if you're interested in participating in this project.
3: So, what is it that made you get into this kind of work? You know, where where did the fire start? Where did the fire start?
4: Um, I started working in criminal justice. In fact, in the states, um, I used to work as a uh, an investigator for a public defender's office in the Bronx. And certainly, uh, the U.S.'s criminal justice flaws are well documented. But working up front and close up with clients who for no other reason than their skin color had been beaten up by police officers Um, being in new york when eric garner was killed and participating in the black lives matter protests seeing the absolute human uh consequences of horrendous policy uh state inflicted violence institutional racism uh made it something that i couldn't stand by and not do anything about and since coming back to the uk i used to tell my American colleagues, "I, you guys have really got some stuff to sort out over this side. We've got it much, much better over over on our side of the pond. And since coming back and being confronted with our own justice system, which has many of the same problems and much less well publicised, I've been frankly shocked that there isn't more outrage about how terrible our criminal justice system is over
3: here. I completely agree. And it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to be rude... Uh, and unsensitive towards sort of uh, judges and barristers and the justice system itself because it's our justice system and we all want to love it and for it to work well and effectively but you know I really believe that we have to be non-defensive about our problems and people shouldn't get cross and defensive about it which i find all the time when i bring something up i was mentioning the joint committee on human rights and the publication that's come out about the impact of the child on maternal imprisonment and actually the truth is coming out of what happens but then you sort of get this sort of kickback of that does not happen we followed you process and i'm like it's really interesting you are cross with me about it because i'm just actually articulating what we now know to be true
4: Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. There is no sense of urgency in this country around the state of our criminal justice system. We rely on um, the saying "British justice is the best justice system in the world," and we 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 ride it, and we think yeah, that's good complacent. enough. And it absolutely isn't. It, it it can be if we continually hold ourselves to the best standards, and if we can accept the mistakes that we've made, and if we can correct things proactively. But I am frequently infuriated and frustrated by the absolute lack of urgency. And I and I don't think it's because judges, barristers, magistrates are bad people. Um, and I. I'm really heartened that increasingly the evidence is coming out you mentioned the, the the report on the joint committee i think the women's sector is doing an extraordinary job of highlighting the injustices in the system but it has to galvanize some fire it has to galvanize some action um all of it is for nothing so i think you know complacency is our absolute enemy uh, and patting ourselves on the back and telling ourselves we're doing a fantastic job um is just not good enough
3: i completely agree um i have spoken to many people who have um shockingly said oh well it's only x amount of women in prison for non-payment of tv licences why care as though that's an answer and i'm like i'm amazed that you a think that but I'm even more amazed that you decided to say that out loud. <laughs> every single person
4: matters, and every person's liberty matters, right? The decision of the state to deprive somebody of their liberty is a huge responsibility, and we have to make sure that every person who faces that risk is properly advised, um, gets a proper defense, and that is only taken in the most serious of cases when it's absolutely necessary for the protection of the public. Um, so it it doesn't matter that it's a small number if it was your mom or your grandma or your son it would matter it matters for every person so the number is irrelevant to me. Um, If any person's liberty is is at stake, we have to take that seriously.
3: Absolutely. And all these sort of, um, you know, the collateral damage that we've talked about, yes, on the sort of families and the children and the friends. But when you're then looking at other problems further down the line in the criminal justice system, of course, sentencing and prosecution bears every relevance on the prison population. So if we're wanting to bring the prison population down safely and appropriately, which is something we all know needs to happen, cross-party consent. Consensus that that needs to happen. Well, there are ways we can do it. And you would start with the logical area of removing the people, the men and women who are in for non payment of council tax, the same with the team You know, there are solutions to these problems. And this is what makes me cross, but also makes me incredibly positive and hopeful for the future that one day we are going to have a group of ministers that will act.
4: I hope so. The justice system is the sticky beast. And once you come into contact with it, it's very hard to shake off. And I think one of the things we have to make sure we're doing is avoiding uh, getting more people stuck in its slippery grasp. You know, um, there are generational consequences to incarceration, to prosecution, to criminal records. Um, you've mentioned the effect on children of having parents in custody. But there's also trends in terms of criminality and people, children who whose parents are in prison, being more likely to end up in prison. We, we know about the care-to-prison pipeline, um, we have to be diverting people away from the criminal justice system where possible because you're completely right, the consequences follow for generations. So it's not just our government, it's not just us that are going to be dealing with it. It's our children who are going to be dealing with it. So we also have to be thinking about what the legacy is of the criminal justice system that we're building.
3: Okay, great. Thank you. Well it's been brilliant talking to you. Um it's been illuminating um and slightly depressing at the same time. <laughs> but thank God there's people Such are like justice. Yeah. <laughs> thank God there's people like you around who are, you know, who are fighting the cause for it. Um and I don't doubt that our country will see sense and go the way of Wales and Scotland. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much.
2: Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency.